Why are they doing this? They've adapted. Well, I don't think we can allow that to happen. Play more! Hey, Kevin. How's it going, dude? Really good, Joe. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> dude. Thanks for thanks for coming on and saying hey man. <laughs> Wait, what, what was your day all all about today? What did you get into? Uh, let's see. Uh, my my wife and kids sleep in a bit on the weekend, so I got up and put on a mask and went to Home Depot to get some lawn stuff. And then I worked on. <laughs> uh, it's probably what we'll talk about. I made bowls in. I made bowls out of wood, and then I met up with. Uh, someone later to cut up a log with a chainsaw so Uh, kind of typical of uh i guess a big part of who i am and then uh just had a fire we we pulled our fire pit over next to our neighbor's fence and they were on their side of the fence we're on our side of the fence i think (laughs) it's still going on right now but uh yeah enjoyed some evening around the fire with the neighbors kind of but separate (laughs) nice man Dude, how I got a quick question for you with with the chainsaw. So I've used a chainsaw twice in my life, and it was like my parents used to live on this lot. It was like a pretty big lot, but it was like a scrub oak forest, and so I just help them like trim back a few small branches. Mm-hmm. And it was fun and all that, and I felt it was easy with the small branches. But I've heard about kickback, I think is what it's called, and with I've heard that's an issue with like bigger. Uh, cuts or like bigger thicknesses of wood how do you get over the mental aspect of like not just being scared to death of like (laughs) that thing like coming and doing some like surprise surgery on you because that to me is just like I don't know chainsaws are cool but it's terrifying to imagine that (laughs) oh man I wish I had like I, I, I want some sort of representation, but let's say I have this log and my chainsaw bar and kickback happens because you're in the log, but you're not all the way through. And so the sprocket, the nose has the chain coming this way. And so it, it basically climbs itself up a wall that you cut if it doesn't go all the way through. So it's a wall that climbs up quick and it throws it back. <sighs> and, and with a smaller chainsaw, it's actually a lot scarier because it's a small bar that comes back pretty quick. If it's a really Mm. big chainsaw with a big bar, it's kind of like the scary issue between shooting a big rifle and a big handgun is, is that going to pop up quick or is it going to have kind of a long draw? And I used a really big chainsaw today. So it wasn't, (laughs) that wasn't the issue. It was moving it and things like that. Yeah. That's that's cool. So the bigger, it's kind of like driving a bigger car, I guess. You have more, like once it's going, you have more momentum. Yeah, it's less scary. <laughs> so it's easier to kind of predict or something, I guess. I could see that. Yeah. Damn, that's wild. How? So you've been, I guess, how, how long have you been into woodworking? Because you've been doing it. I mean, we met like probably about, I don't know, nine years or so ago, I'm guessing, something like that. Oh, no, I don't. Th- I think it's maybe been... Um, I guess maybe six or seven or so. Six I, or I've, seven. Okay. I, I've been doing maybe at the most of, I have, I've been kind of trying it for maybe eight years. I think I've been good at it for like three um, okay. and have an idea of what I'm doing, but I just kind of felt like I was a poser for a while and uh, figuring it out or just waiting for somebody to tell me what, what actually to do. Uh, but yeah, I feel like I'm in a good place now and, uh, kind of been a long time building up to being proficient at something. 
that whole the poser thing is interesting because like so i grew up skateboarding and mm-hmm. i'm you know you can't really tell on here you you see me in person but i'm like six foot four and like i have double uh double lerp added into my dna for my parents they're both tall and skinny and awkward people so i'm not built for it and uh, i skated for like 15 years and was just a poser the whole time and there's this the mentality is like if you're you know trying to learn something and you're not very good at it you know you you risk coming off as a poser and it's like you know a really bad thing and like nobody wants to be around a poser and stuff how did you get over that kind of because I I don't know I'm sure with just about learning anything new there's that whole poser fear how did you get over that initial fear of like yeah, I really don't know what the hell I'm doing and I'm, I am improving and I'm getting better and I know I can be way better, but right now I suck. How did you kind of get over that and just keep uh, sticking with it and jump into it like you did? It, it, it's interesting, like thinking back, I, I talked to a lot of people that make stuff out of wood and they kind of have a similar story of, oh man, yeah, the first thing I made, I gave to my mom or my mom's friends bought these things from me. And I wish I could go back and take them back from them and say, hey, can I give you something else? Because that was really crappy, but you were really nice about it. And I think people kind of fed off my own excitement of, you know, almost like a, a kindergartner showing home with like a macaroni uh, piece of art. Like that's how it was the first time I, I made something, uh, whether it was like a wooden spoon or a wooden bowl or something like, hey, look at this, even though it wasn't great. Um, and yeah, I think people just being really supportive of this is, I, I can tell that that's something that you love. So that's neat. Uh, I think that was really helpful. And then somewhere along the way, just finding, you know, being open to critique. I think I've having that imposter syndrome when someone does finally critique, you're really open to figuring that out. Um, doing, using chainsaws or making wooden bowls or using a lathe. Uh, I think the cool thing about it specifically is that you can I, you eyeball everything. Uh, Chad Parkinson is, you know, on this God level to me in furniture making because everything fits. Like it fits because it was planned that way and the execution was flawless and you have this piece of furniture that is impeccably made. And with making bowls, it's, yeah, I I balled it and it looks really pretty now. And you don't have to measure, you don't have to. It's kind of a different game uh, with fine fine, uh, woodworking and kind of the wood turning that I do or cutting up slabs with a big chainsaw. So is, you mentioned the whole being able to eyeball things and kind of go more off feel and I guess it's experience really is what it is and like your brain and your muscle memory getting used to all those movements and just kind of I guess eventually mastering those is that how more like you know top tier woodworkers operate are they kind of more going off the way things are feeling or are they still being really careful with the whole like measure twice cut once uh, mindset I, I think that they find a good form and they they stick with that form um there's a lot of people that have made thousands of wooden bowls that aren't attractive. They aren't good. They don't have a lot of quality to them, but they've done them a lot. Um, and, and the form, the shape makes a big difference. With any Art 101 class, uh, you talk about S curves and C curves and attractive ratios. This golden ratio is about one in three. 
and the idea if you have um, like I have bowls all around in my like work office right now so I'm gonna uh, this was a bowl that a friend of mine made for me yeah. but with with the foot of it being about a third of of the rim and you have this very beautiful arc to it and it's looking for that uh, it's looking for that outline that's attractive and uh, consistency throughout so I don't when know, you see, I, yeah when you're saying a third of the rim so you're saying the base is one third as wide as at the top of the bowl is that what um, yeah typically um, okay. if I, I think um, early on, people that come across a really pretty piece of wood, it may be this, um, let's say a big piece of wood that's very deep and their inclination is, well, gosh, I don't want to waste any of this. I want to take off as little as possible. And they end up with this wooden bucket and it's this unattractive <laughs> piece of really beautiful wood, but they didn't have a, a strong execution where maybe the best case scenario was to lose an inch or two off the bottom to have actually a really beautiful form that could have been there. Hmm. So how much of your process is involved with the like kind of pre-planning and having a clear idea in your mind beforehand, or do you kind of start working the wood, seeing how that particular piece is responding to your cuts and whatnot, and then kind of change the design to match the actual piece you're working with? Uh, before I knew what I was doing, I would have told you like, yeah, I'm waiting for the wood to speak to me. <laughs> but people that actually know that I know what they're doing. And now that I, now that I have a better idea of what I'm doing, you know, you, you'll wait your whole life. The wood's not going to say Jack, Jack to you. <laughs> it's, it's not. Uh, and you just start. Uh, this morning I had a piece of wood. I, uh, traced out circles. I took it to the bandsaw and cut the circles out and I put it on my lathe. And um, I, I have a couple just pieces <laughs> for kind of, uh, I guess, props to talk about. Let yeah. me grab a couple I found. So starting off with a log. So this is, let's say, half a tiny log. And within a log, the very middle is called the pith. And the pith almost acts like a sponge. It's very soft, it's very loose, and a lot, a bit of the moisture is carried there. So when you cut a log, if you leave it out, you'll actually notice that a lot of the cracking starts from the middle and goes outward because that sponge dries up quickest. And then that's where it loses that moisture and causes the rest to make these cracks. So whenever I cut a log, I'll have the two halves of a log, I'll lay it on the ground and I want to chainsaw it either right down the middle or, you know, maybe I cut it just on either side of that pith. So I have a pith cut in the middle that I can toss and then I'll have a stable bowl on this side and a stable bowl on this side. So from that, uh, typically with a big log, I'd cut this side flat. I would cut this side flat if that's the bowl I was going to do. And then, uh, yeah, after I take it to a bandsaw, I cut it in a circle. And then first thing is I want to cut the foot of the bowl. And this is going to fit into some jaws so I can do the outside shape of this bowl. Once I have this foot, I can put it into jaws, turn it around, and I can do the inside of the bowl. So it's this process. 
And the, the whole idea from taking a log until it's a finished bowl that goes on a kitchen table, it's usually about a year because a lot like us, trees are 60 plus percent water and a piece of lumber that you buy at the lumber yard, depending on the, the part of the country, but it's like nine to 13% moisture content. So it has to lose a lot of moisture um, within the whole process. So I take a bowl, I rough it out so it's nice and thick and I put a wax on it. If I didn't, Utah's so dry that it would just crack itself apart and break. Um, and this allows it to basically kind of breathe more slowly. And um, a year from now, it's gonna warp. It's already warped a bit. It's gonna shrink. It's gonna lose a lot of that water weight. And then I'll have this warped bowl that is ready to go back on the lathe, wobble a little bit while I make some finishing turns and then it will be a finished stable bowl that isn't gonna move anymore. How, how long has that one been sitting with the wax on it for? Uh, a lot of times, honestly, I have to pull up my Instagram because I knew I took <laughs> pictures of like cutting this. Uh, this was a friend of mine at work. Her dad asked, uh, asked me, hey, do you know anyone that cuts trees? And I had a friend of mine that's an arborist and I showed up and collected a bunch of it, but uh, maybe it doesn't show up well, but it's super curly and this maple oh, has yeah. a lot of figure in it and it's pretty fantastic in the entire tree. And I don't know, I just, I, I love trees, but I love uh, what's inside of them too. So when they do have to come down, um, people see arborists around the city, trees come down every single day in town. And every single day, those trees, there's not some magical place that arborists or tree cutters take them to to turn into something pretty, they all become mulch. They get taken somewhere west of town, they either get buried, burned, or ground up into mulch. And mm. so a bit of what I do gets to save that from ending in someone's compost or garden. So you're almost like helping them with their burial. Like, well, if you wanna to relate to like a tree and that whole arboring process is like preparing it for its funeral and like final resting place, you're more the mindset of turning it into like a beautiful, like a uh, kind of a, not a monolith, but like a, oh, what's the freaking word, man? Total brain fart. But like a, a nice kind of a memory for the tree as opposed to just like mulching it up and letting it go back to the earth. That's a, and, that's kind of right. Huh. And, and, and not every tree out there, uh, you know, is going to have some, you know, married couples initials carved into the side of it. It's not all going to have sentimental value, yeah. but it all has a story. Um, you know, it, when I sell a bowl, uh, this, this cherry bowl, um, I, I'm really happy with the way that it turned out. This uh, was cherry that was growing in Lehigh, Utah. And a guy was taking it out because it was growing against his house and I got to save a bit of it. And I, I, I think it, it makes a bigger difference to somebody that this bowl came from somewhere as opposed to, I went to a lumber store and this is what I came up with. Uh, totally. There's a story, like a time and a place and a memory, like, man. Uh, yeah. Like th th this was, this was a living thing that you drove past. This was in someone's neighborhood. Uh, Granite, Granite high school in Salt Lake city closed down, I think before I moved here but they tore the place down and Thursday they cut the trees down. 
And uh, I, I mean, I've met a handful of people that went to high school there. They took shop class there. And Thursday after work, I showed up and I got to cut up some giant logs and I'll make bowls or pens or something like that. But I think it's, it, it's giving some meaning to something that otherwise would be uh, worthless to some, uh, to some factor. Totally. Have, have you ever gotten to be involved in the actual like arboring process where you go and cut the tree down or? Yeah. Um, and, and that's a very specific skill and I'll still claim, I, I guess I'm more of a poser there. I don't, I don't fell trees. That's not my expertise. I, I can cut them up once they're on the ground. Uh, but um, I don't know for, for the whole wood turning process, turning pieces of wood into bowls, you, you got to find wood from somewhere. And there's only enough of a supply of coworkers that tell you their dad wants to cut down a tree. Uh, but you get to know people that work in that and they're interested in what you do and you're interested in what they do. And maybe it means you know someone at the city that does that or maybe you've met a couple arborists. And so in my case, I have a few friends that do this for a living. They cut down trees and it, you know, it honestly saves them money from having to take it to the dump or a log yard or to get mulched up. Uh, some people are protective of it because, well, that's my mulch and, you know, that, that provides through the winter or I cut yeah. firewood in the winter and that's fine. But a lot of people, they, they pay to have to get rid of that wood. And so if I show up with a little pickup truck and a chainsaw, I save them a bit of their day and I get what I want. They get what they want. Cool, man. Can, do you mind showing me you had like a little brand or a design on the bottom of that last bowl you showed that looked oh. like a North Star or something like that? What is Let's that? See. It's really cool. It's, it's just right. a little rosette that I carve uh, sometimes in the bottoms of bowls. Uh, I think my next step, I'm not great with any sort of graphic design, but I need to design some sort of um, brand, I think, which would be a next step. Uh, yeah, a lot of good people. Uh, otherwise, I'd sign my name in the bottom or something like that. But this is one that we use probably three times a week for popcorn. And uh, secretly, I will sell this at Christmas. I'll clean it out very well. But uh, th these, are, these are really made to be used. And uh, anyway, I, I really love this cherry bowl. And it's one of the nicer ones. I, I usually don't have any bowls in my house because um, I'm just working on them to finish usually in October or November every year. That's kind of the how it goes with like, I, I know it's similar for chefs because they'll, you know, be at work making all this beautiful food for all these strangers. And then when they get home, it's like, all right, honey, we're having a TV dinner. All right. <laughs> that's funny. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a, that's a whole thing. That's like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I love it. Um, what, what uh, when you've been chopping up those logs, have you seen any crazy bugs or found anything super interesting in some of those logs that you weren't expecting to find in there? Hey, I love nerding out about this. And, and, you know, like I said, some people, they don't get it. They don't have to get it and that's fine. But I think that people are really apt and open to, to feed off of the excitement. Uh, like healthy wood, healthy wood is typically not exciting. Um, if it's just very straight grained, that's kind of typical. Unhealthy wood, uh, wood that's, I don't know, like trees that have seen some shit. Uh, I, I think that's really the stuff that, that is exciting. Um, with this bowl that I had, 
And again, I don't know that this light really catches it, but this whole thing is just, has this incredible curl throughout it. That happens because of stress in the tree. So a limb hanging over, it causes this stress or maybe the way that um, a fungus invaded a tree or uh, with box elder trees, for example, they grow all over this town in the mountains, in alleyways, things like that. They have these burls that grow on it. And it's basically a, almost like a cancer of the tree. Um, box elder bugs, those little red and uh, black ones we see around town, they burrow in. The tree protects itself by releasing this enzyme. And when you cut it open, there's this bright red flare in the wood. And it's like red Ooh. as a red crayon. And you cut it open and you're just like, wow, this is something the tree did. Or this is stress in the tree. Or this was something that... Um, you know, wasn't expected, and you cut into it, and it's, uh, yeah, yeah, you just get so excited, because you never know exactly what it's going to look like, but there's some, some things that may telegraph of, of what you, what you could expect, maybe ripples on the outside of the bark, or something like that. So is it like, a, I mean, would that be kind of an equivalent to, like, an immune system response, like, in a human, like, is that what you're saying, like, trees have, like, this kind of reaction to help kind of protect itself and that's what causes those things or is it more just the natural like from having bugs in it it's just starting to rot a little bit i i don't know if maybe like less of an immune system and more like an x-men type scenario okay. where <laughs> something bad happened to this yeah. tree and it overcame it by you know growing these barbs along the outside that made this cluster ball and when you cut it open it just has it looks like eyes all over it and it, it's just really fantastic the way that, I don't know, nature decides to keep living. And also, I mean, eventually it doesn't. Um, and then you get to uh, see the story a bit. Oh, I wish I had. Uh, earlier today, I made a bowl. And on the inside of the bowl, on one of the sides, there was actually a branch that stopped. And what that was, um, like a bark inclusion, but at one point in time, a limb had been pruned back. So the limb was pruned back and then the rest of the trunk kept growing over it. And so Ooh. when I made that cut, I mean, you can't see it from the outside, but you start cutting that wood as it's turning and all of a sudden you see this branch that comes up and just stops abruptly inside of that piece of wood. Um, some people love it, some people don't. Um, the people that don't, they don't they don't get it. They don't deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's like, a, yeah, if you, it seems like you have to be very adaptive with the work. And I've heard of like horror stories of people on a lathe and they'll be, you know, tooling on there and all of a sudden you'll hit like an old ass nail or something that you're not expecting. <laughs> and it'll like cause your, your tool to like shoot off or something. Yeah. Maybe or... throw a tool or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, I guess yeah, so. so. Um, I, I've had friends that have found bullets, but probably the most common bullets or sometimes golf balls that fall <laughs> into kind of the crevice of a tree and grow over um, uh, insulators from telephone poles, uh, the ceramic oh, yeah. ones, they get grown over decades and decades ago. Uh, I think the worst is probably barbed wire or a fence that had grown over and been pulled apart. And there's a piece uh, with with my big chainsaw. So my really big chainsaw, um, it has the motors like 121 cc's and the bar is 60 inches. 
um, 60 inches long and it's a really big chain. And if I'm buying a brand new chain, it's like a hundred dollar chain. Okay. And so if I'm running and I'm cutting a big piece of wood and I see a spark, that basic basically means I just like blew a Benjamin, like it's gone. That that chain, if if maybe it broke off a tooth or something like that, and it can't be repaired. And so I spent the money and I bought uh, just a wanded uh, metal detector, like maybe going nice. into a concert or something like that. And um, I haven't caught anything yet, but I figure it'll certainly pay for itself before I cut into something gnarly next time I come across something I'm just not sure of. Yeah, that uh, that whole, just the unknown process of that art has to be, I mean, very cool because it is literally, like you said, just you're cutting into this formerly living organism that's all different and has been like home to like little squirrel families and had birds and all that stuff. And, and also like little man. kids. So if it's in yeah. town yep. and it was in someone's yard, um, you know, typically we don't want to mess with it too much if it's, you know, lower than three or four feet down. Uh, and, and I'll talk to people and I'll say, well, honestly, it looks like maybe I'm, I'm worried about some nails or something in this tree. And they'll say, oh, don't worry about it. I've been living here like seven years. Like we haven't done anything to this tree. And I'm thinking, right, this is a 70 year old tree. And so it doesn't matter if nothing happened. I, I'm not worried about what I can see. I'm worried about what I can't see. And maybe that's someone in, you know, 1981 that built a tree house or, you know, posted a sign or when I was a kid, just hammering nails into a tree. Well, totally. Cause so like growing up, so we, uh, when uh, I was about 12 or so, my, uh, my grandfather, so my dad's dad had passed away like a few years before that. And his mother passed away when I was about 12 and my folks ended up buying the house from them and it was you know the house my dad was raised in oh. and in our backyard we had this huge red maple it was just like it was beautiful beautiful tree and like growing up from the time I was a little tiny kid there was always a little tire swing in it and I remember my dad always telling me these stories of when they first planted or had the tree transplanted it and it was you know maybe two inches across on the actual like main stump there so like or the trunk and it's just crazy because I know my dad was kind of a little hellion growing up. So I know that thing was like packed full of BBs. And I mean, who knows what the hell is in that tree. And I know it's still it's still alive. It's still doing really well. But um, just those that potential for all those wild memories coming into those trees is really cool. And like, I don't know, that, that tree, like growing up on it, I remember like I'd go out there and do my pull-ups on it and stuff. And like my dad had just... We had a lot of fun time. Like it's the weirdest thing to bond over, but yeah, my dad and I really bonded over this tree for some reason, but wow. um, yeah, I love it. I, I have a very soft spot in my heart for him. Um, so question for you. So you mentioned um, like a little bit ago about uh, when you were first starting out learning the whole woodworking process and getting a feel for that art. And uh, that's something that was a big thing for you to get over the whole idea of being a poser with it, and, you know, being able to be confident enough to keep moving forward, learning it um, was, you know, being around supportive people who were like interested in it and yeah, not yeah. just trying to cut you down. Sure. Um, do you have any advice? And I know with your, with your day job, you also, you help people kind of improve their lives by getting, you know, more education and whatnot. Um, 
do you have any tips for people who are maybe being around kind of some negative people that are making them feel bad or like kind of, do you have any ideas for ways that people could know if the people they're around are kind of holding them back and like making them feel bad or any, any, any thoughts on that stuff? Um, gosh, in, unless it's like so terribly niche that you're the only person like in your community doing something, uh, a, a lot of my best friends are like 50 something years old uh, because that that's kind of what I found myself is the people that are really into this, like a lot of them are retired or a lot of them grew up doing this and finding a community, finding clubs, um, organizations that may do it. Uh, I don't care if it's music and you just find someone to jam with or if you're really into quilting um, find other people around there and you may and, and maybe you show up and you realize oh gosh like everything I've done is crap but you have those friends that can say this may be a direction to look at or this is what actually made me figure this whole thing out and uh, yeah I, when I moved to Utah a couple years ago I, I got a psychology degree and I decided I didn't want to go to grad school. I didn't love it enough to go to grad school. And so, I don't know, I just worked construction jobs. And um, I had this idea, maybe, maybe I want to figure out if woodworking would be interesting. That's something that's always maybe appealed to me a little bit, but I've never had any experience. And I don't know if you ever knew Clayton Thompson, um, Joey Thompson's brother, but a uh, friend of a friend familiar. knew him in Salt Lake and he makes very, very excellent fine furniture. And I asked if I could work for him for free and uh, just kind of figure out if that's something I wanted to do or not. And uh, it, it, it was really good for me. It, it showed me what I didn't want to do, but also what I did want to do. And uh, kind of gave me a little bit of a support through Clayton. I met Chad, Chad had a big lathe and that was the first person I knew that had a lathe. Um, I had my own, it was a little one, I could do small things and Chad had more experience and uh, was, you know, I'll, I'll always be grateful for his um, generosity in helping me out or just giving me a space to try to figure things out. How, how long into that whole process did you realize like, hey, this is actually something that's super interesting to me and it's something that I want to stick with. How long did it take you to get to that point when you knew that it was like maybe not something you'd be doing for your full-time career, but something that you'd definitely be interested in for a, you know, a good amount of time? I don't know. It, it still seemed like a struggle um, for quite a while because probably because I was doing it wrong. Uh, and, and that's like a weird thing to think back. There's, you know, a dozen ways to do something, but I was doing, I was doing it the wrong way. I was using the wrong tools for the wrong sort of thing, but uh, trying to figure it out, uh, not really taking, if I could go back, I would have spent a hundred dollars and taken a class from somebody like eight years ago. <laughs> and I think that would have saved me five years of you know, figuring things out or so several years of just, you know, trying to wing it. Uh, but if someone would have said, this is the way a tool needs to be sharpened. This is the way you hold it. This is the way you present it to a piece of wood. And this is how you can do that safely. That would have saved me a ton of time. And uh, yeah, I, I would have been a lot better, a lot 
quicker too. So you can either invest in some bucks up front and pay someone to share their knowledge that they've gained from like their trial and error and falling flat on their face and picking up and figuring it out. Or you can do that whole process yourself and spend like five years at it is what you're saying. The two <laughs> and, and the struggle you can go. Yeah. <laughs> and struggle. Um, oh, and, and, and I, I teach, I teach on the side. So a side gig uh, at a woodworking store here in town is I teach lessons doing wood turning and sometimes I, I get these students that, you know, they do other woodwork stuff and, you know, they take to it pretty well. And I just want to say like, man, like I know you paid a bit to take this class with me, but like you're getting a steal of a deal because I know that you'll use this and this is going to save you so much time to know these things that, you know, I just struggled, struggled with for such a long time trying to figure it out until someone told me, um, can I give you some pointers here? and change my trajectory with that. Do you see, because I, I know you, you work for, a, like we mentioned, a, a university of sorts, and uh, do you foresee a lot more people learning how to do skills like woodworking and trade type of things? Do you foresee a lot more of that being sourced out to online learning, or will it continue to be something that's more taught in person? What's a, what, what's your feel on that whole side of things? I don't know. Um, I, I never took a shop class. Uh, my, my dad's a microbiologist and cool. like he never, <laughs> I mean, he's not handy. Uh, we never worked on cars together. I, I don't have these, uh, a lot of these things. Uh, I, I always grew up and thought I was going to be more of an academic and teach somewhere or something like that. And I, I really enjoyed working with my hands. Um, and a lot of, I mean, all my other friends took shop class because they loved it. And that's why they're doing what they're doing now. And I came to it maybe a different roundabout way. Um, in terms of the future, I'm sure that online learning is going to be a big part of it. Uh, during this quarantine right now, I've had half a dozen, uh, half a dozen Skype calls uh, with people that say, hey, I'm having trouble sharpening can, can I call you? Could you stop by? Could I send you some pictures? And we, you know, do a FaceTime call for half an hour. Um, at the same time, you just can't, you, you don't have the same, uh, I, I don't know, when, when I'm teaching a class, the difference of a good cut and a bad cut is just a very slight twist of a tool or just the angle being, <laughs> being tweaked ever so slightly to find that sweet spot. And I don't know if that's, as accessible with online or distance learning. Yeah, I could see the whole, cause with this whole, like, I mean, we're on this Zoom, you know, platform <laughs> right now and I, it's cool. I think there, there are certain limitations to it for sure. And like, dude, I would love nothing more than to be like right there chilling in the room <laughs> directly with you talking to you. You know, it's, it's different having this like phone in between us. And like, the, honestly, the weirdest thing about the whole, like person to person video calls is you can never look somebody in the eye on these <laughs> things and it freaks me out. It's so bizarre to me, but anyway, um, yeah, definitely some limitations there, but like, I think compared to like 50 years back before we had like, uh, all this cool access to the online info, I, I kind of, I think it'll, I don't know. I, I see it working out and being more, even more accessible with the whole, like, 
virtual reality. Have you seen those with the headsets? Yeah, the augmented reality. and Yeah, the the augmented reality and then being in a virtual environment. And like imagine being able to take a class with a virtual reality headset on. Right. And they've got it programmed so you can actually like see their tool and get up close. And it's like, I mean, of course not the same as being there in person, but I'm excited. We went to the public library and they had a setup where basically you were on the the moon surface and you had all of these skills games like, uh, and, and it was with... I don't know, like Oculus or something like that. I'm not sure which one, but it's like shooting hoops or something with a virtual basketball into this hoop, right. except you're on the moon. And so you have <laughs> to undershoot it or throwing uh, baseball at milk bottles. Uh, it, it did make me think though, I, I guess a part that maybe I discounted is uh, people know me for woodworking either because maybe they took a class this past year that I've been teaching locally or through Instagram, uh, I've become like close friends, weirdly enough, with people uh, in quite a few different parts of the world and all over the country and people I haven't met and a lot of people I have met in other states and things like that, um, that mean a lot to me and that have taught me quite a bit. And I get questions on the regular. I'll, this week, I'll have another three or four questions from strangers I've never heard from before saying, I, I've been watching your stuff for a while. I, I think I want to buy my first chainsaw. Can you tell me some do's and don'ts? Or I have a lathe chuck and I don't know how to use it. Would you mind posting a video or, or could I ask you about that? And everyone has been super genuine and uh, generous with their time. Instagram's a very open, it seems like a very generous environment for makers or craftspeople. Um, yeah, I think I've learned a lot and also been able to teach quite a bit from that too. What, what is it about Instagram specifically compared to like LinkedIn or Facebook or YouTube that's kind of caught your attention? Because you have like a massive following on there. Like you have like 20,000 people on your, like subscribing to your channel. And like, you, dude, people are digging your stuff on there. What, what, uh, what do you like about Instagram? I, it, it like has no agenda other than what you're into. Um, it's, it's, I mean, maybe it can be political, but it's, it's a, it's a bit of a stretch to get there. Um, it's, yeah, you find people that are, I, I mean, for the most part, I, I subscribe and I follow other people that do woodworking, but there's also that, uh, oh man, that, that beautiful muscular guy in Scandinavia that does the, uh, the pottery uh, what's his name? Tortoise, tortoise something or other. But he, but he throws these pots and he basically just does these time-lapse videos on a, on a, a wheel making these pots. That's not anything I've ever done, not anything I'm really interested in doing, but the fringe of appreciation of there's people that are really good at this thing that I have no business or, or no, no interest in being a part of, but it really, um, it gets them going. It, it makes them it makes them live. It makes them want to live. And uh, yeah, pe- people are able to see parts of that from stuff that I'm into, whether it's cutting up a log and being there with me on a video to say, let's see what's inside when we open this up and it falls open. And maybe they're a fraction of excited as I am when I see, oh gosh, look at the ripple in this figure. Or, you know, when these two branches come up there's this crotch piece and when you cut it open there's everything going on uh yeah people get to kind of be along for the journey for it 
what happens what what is a crotch piece on a tree is that where the like the fecum comes out or what, what's a crotch piece i'm sorry so, man, so, so, no 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 so, so um <laughs> yes yeah the terminology is right but yeah right about the legs man, right, right about yeah. the legs of the of the tree um, it's the part of the oh, tree yeah. that Michael Jackson grabs in a dance uh, dance routine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I see. So, so, so when you have a branch and it forks, uh, the part where it forks right there, there's a solid piece of wood that has grain direction that's coming from this direction, coming from this direction, and this direction. And so right in the middle, you could have this bowl or this platter or this figured piece of wood that has kind of this fork or, and, and within that, maybe there's a feathering pattern uh, as those two pieces are, you know, going their separate ways, but all in the middle, it's, it's different than just a standard straight piece of wood. It has a lot more going on. So is it kind of, is that what a, so I, so I used to try to make pipes. Um, like I, I tried to teach myself it like, I don't know, like four or five years back mm -hmm. and was like briar burl type stuff. Sort of. Yeah. Is the burl, is the burl part of the crotch or is that part in the root? Um, a burl usually is growing right on, right on the side of it, you know, okay. on, on the okay. side of a, a trunk or, or a branch, something so, like that. Burl is like a tumor of a tree kind of. Yeah, yeah, okay. almost. And, and you'll see them on certain trees. Certain trees are just a lot more susceptible to them. Like I would talked about box elder. Um, I know I have something, box elder burl. Oh, okay. A uh, friend of mine a couple years ago made this. Uh, what the it's hell a, is that? It, so it's a pet urn. He, he made cool. these fabulous urns, okay. And actually uh, he he would come into the store that I worked at and we'd just shoot the bowl about woodworking and a couple years ago he had a heart attack and died like pretty suddenly I think he was in his 50s or so and his girlfriend reached out to me and said we've never met but I'm so-and-so's girlfriend we're trying to sell off some of his stuff to support his family could you help us identify so I I, I bought this from uh, from his family and so this was, oh man, this was so cool. Let me take this off. So, and and he he made bigger ones. He made ones for like pets. He was he was big. Uh, he had these yippy little dogs that he loved, but he he really loved animals. And so he made these pet urns. And I think that he's now in one of his big urns that he had made. Uh, but the, these burls, they have kind of these spiky, jaggy, jagged edges. And he would turn it while it was spinning this way, and he would make this orb and kind of leave this very thin wall to it. And I don't know if you can see, or maybe I'll bring a light up, but there's just so much going on there. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it looks like there's all these little eyes to it, but it's because there's not really any grain direction. There's no grain pattern. It's just a bit of chaos. And so he would take these and cut them up and dye them different colors. And yeah, pretty fabulous. So it, it looks like something from Mars. <laughs> sure. And, and, and it's also, seen, it's also very beautiful and yeah. unique, but you know, a little bit scary with this jagged edge and things like that. Um, oh, it's so cool. Yeah. I knew I would have some sort of box elder burl around here somewhere. Uh, they grow 
all over. And, and some people, that's, that's their jam, is they collect burls and they make stuff out of it. Maybe they make pens or fancy, um, I don't know, lidded boxes that fit together or things. Hmm. Um, yeah, for me, I just, uh, trees around here that come down. There's some I like, some I don't. And there's more wood than any of us have time to process. So I take what I can and make what I can. <laughs> do, you, do you have a favorite type of wood to work with? Um, I, I, think, I think black walnut is king. Um, mm -hmm. In Utah, there's black walnut, there's English walnut. A lot of people will call and say, hey, I have this black walnut tree because they've never heard of an English walnut. And I show up or I see a picture. An English walnut typically has a whole lot less heartwood. And so it doesn't have that brown that the black walnut does, but the nuts are better. And so pioneers or people several decades ago, they would plant them for the nuts and not necessarily for the lumber. Um, uh, red maple, like you had talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, here we, red maple's not all that common. It'll grow in someone's yard if they planted it, but it's not native. Um, there's woods that we don't have. I wish we did. We don't have beech trees here. Um, but even, even some of the garbage trees around here, uh, Siberian elm is really pretty. It smells bad. Uh, chinaberry trees that the city plants. Um, sometimes at the end of the season, you'll see it almost likes the, it looks like these little Japanese lanterns and on the inside are these little black seed pods. And it's just a normal tree. Uh, this, was, this was a bowl I made from a chinaberry branch uh, a couple years ago. And the wood itself is pretty, pretty dull. Let me see if I, let's see. So with this bowl, whoa, I, it's, I, I don't know God. specifically how thin it is, but it's, it, it's very, very thin for the wall. Yeah. And so while it was on the lathe, I put a lamp behind it and that's how I could, that's how I could check the wall thickness. So it was, pretty thin but it was it was just a chinaberry tree and a log that someone had left out on the curb for you know neighborhood cleanup type of thing and my I have this amazingly patient wife that will be okay with me pulling over the car to say I'm just going to take like two of these pear logs <laughs> I know exactly what I'm going to do with them and I, I swear I'll clean up um, after myself yeah and you tell her it's going to take five minutes and it takes an hour and she's still cool with it <laughs> and she's still cool with it yeah Dude, I hit the white jackpot <laughs> yeah that's that's a hard thing like uh so so I've been married I got married about four years ago and uh man, like finding a person who matches and like understands like your own insanity to me is just like the most key, like, oh man, it's, it's probably the best thing to have ever happened to me. Like her, my, my wife's name's Pearl and she, she's a far superior in intelligence to me. So I got lucky, but man, it makes such a big difference in being able to pursue these like passion projects and, you know, things in your spare time that you could And it's be not anything we walks. do together. It like it's she's she's never made a bowl. Uh she's never made a wooden pen. Uh you know, she she's a huge avid book reader. I am not. And um yeah, I, I think it's it's the appreciation for this is something that's good for you. Um you know, it pays some of the bills but not most of them, but it's 
it, yeah, I think that she she understands. It, I don't know. It, it's this weird thing that, um, uh, like, hey, Kevin, what are you into? I'm really into making wooden bowls, and that's that's what makes me tick. And it's tough to explain that to people. I don't have to explain that to her. She gets it. Um, she doesn't understand it the way that I do, but she understands that this is something that makes me happy, and that's pretty fantastic. Well, yeah, it's like one of the most important things. I, I don't know, as far as like a good quality relationship goes, like my wife, here's an example. So uh, when she and I were first dating, it was like the first winter we were dating. And I, I really like snowboarding. Like it's one of my favorite things to do. And I don't get to do it very often because it's so expensive and all that stuff nowadays. <laughs> right. And I'm just, I'm getting old. I'm 36. It's not the same as when I was like 20. But uh, I took her up. She'd never snowboarded before. I took her up a few times and was teaching her how to do it. And she, you know, it's one of those things like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a weird thing to learn as an adult as opposed to being a kid. And she, she wasn't feeling it too much. We'll just say that. And so one day, like after we had bought like lift tickets and stuff, we left after just a couple hours because she was, you know, worn out and just got yeah. sick of falling down the whole time. So uh, we were in the car driving home and I was just like, you know, whatever, it's fine. Like, she tried and we were having fun and it was something cool to do together. And she was so bummed and I could just tell something was wrong. And I was like, well, what's wrong? And she was like, well, I just, I don't think I want to snowboard. And I think, I think you're just going to leave me for someone that wants to snowboard. <laughs> and I was just like, no, like not at all. No, you're fine. And like, <laughs> it's just, like, that's something I love about a good, healthy relationship. Like you don't have to do every single little favorite thing together. Like she has her own favorite things that she likes. And I'm just like, dude, I'm totally out of my element with this. And then I have things that she doesn't like that I really am into that she's, you know, Oh yeah, go do your freaking thing, whatever the hell you're doing right now. Go do it, <laughs> yeah. and I like that you like it because it makes you, you know, it relaxes you and it, it just makes you happy. So that makes me happy, and that's, man, yeah. Well, and you guys have a, you guys have a child, like a what is he like? Yeah, we got a two year old. Two, okay. Yeah, we got a two year old Theo. Um, man, like as much as I love making bowls, I love being a dad. Uh, it's it was like scary and exciting but every day is yeah like, like I've never been I've never had like so many high highs and low lows uh, as a parent has made me but it's awesome uh, my wife caught this picture today I think she got some video but while I was um, I, I cut up I cut up some logs earlier this week I cut the rounds out and I made I, I roughed out eight bowls this morning and she had this video of him kind of climbing up on this block of wood and just kind of watching. And so I put my safety glasses, I took mine off and put them on him and I took some other ones. So they're way too big, but he's just watching. And I let him be in charge of the on off switch because that was yeah. safe enough and his hands were where I could see him. But, um, you know, I don't know that it's something he'll love, but it's something that he sees dad do and you know, I'm not doing drugs, so. <laughs> Good job. Like that, yeah, like, like that, 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 that's not such dad. a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's good. worse things I could be doing than, man, dad's really making a lot of bulls. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, well, I mean, it's, it's just wild to imagine. So, like, I mean, he's, like, basically his own little developing, like, 
he's got all these little neural pathways that are forming and he's like getting all these little snippets of like day in the life. Like, okay, this is how living is. And, you know, as a little kid, I mean, from what I remember, at least my whole reality revolved around, you know, uh, hanging out with my mom or like hanging out with my dad. And like, that was my whole world was like these two big, huge, tall people and what they were doing and just going through normal day-to-day stuff. And just knowing that those little tiny memories of like, I mean, who knows, maybe in 20 years, he'll still remember having those safety glasses on watching you do that. Like he may remember that thing that you guys are doing today in 20 years. Like it's amazing. (laughs) It's so cool, dude. Like we, we don't have kids. I don't, I don't think Pearl and I are going to have kids, but I love children, but um, just that whole thing with how their brains go and what things they focus on and pay attention to. I, I have wild. a, cause I'll, I'll drill out a hole for my bold, for my bulb link. And uh, he, he would just try to take my drill and he'd, you know, have the drill bit in his hand. And I was like, please don't, you're going to cut your hand open. That's going to be awful. And so I had an old impact driver or, mm-hmm. I don't know, like a, like a screwdriver, but I put a, uh, a socket adapter on it. So it's just a rounded square. And so whenever I'm screwing something, I hand him, he says, daddy, Theo, Theo screwdriver. And so I hand him his, <laughs> his impact of my old one. And so he'll just go over to a log. It's just, and uh, just, okay, well, that's, <laughs> that's great that he, uh, yeah. Anyway, I love it. That's great. Yeah, the whole the whole thing's it's crazy to me. And like I have two nieces, like one's like one's four and the other's five, and it's nuts. Like especially now because I, I haven't seen them. I think it's been about three or four weeks since I got to go and like actually like see them. And I saw a picture of them yesterday, and like, I mean, it was really cool. It also kind of you know, there's like a little bit of my heartstrings that were being tugged on, and it was it was a bit emotional. But like, I got to see a picture of them after not seeing them for a while, and that's a long time for me not to see them. And they look like they were each like two years older since I'd last seen them. It's just crazy how much, how quickly the those little kids change, man. It's yeah, uh, boy. When when you were first uh, processing, you know, you and your wife having a baby, what were the like? What were the predominant thoughts going through your mind? Like, a, well, like discussion phase, uh, I, I was pretty terrified. And it was always like, a, you know, maybe next year or I don't know if I'm ready. I know that you're ready. And um, she, she presented it in this way of, I, I can't remember. I think we were out on a walk and we were having one of those conversations of like, hey, are you ready yet? Or, you know, I don't want to push you if you're not. And uh, she said, you know, I, I always just thought it would be so, it would be so interesting to explain all the things that you think are amazing that they've never seen before. Like, you'll get to explain what, what a helicopter is to, to someone that's never seen one when it flies by, or birds, or, you know, trees or leaves and things like that. And it's totally, yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely what it's been of, hey, let me, let me show you what's in that birdhouse. Let me show you this egg. Let me show you this tree. Let me show you what dad's making. And um, 
yeah, I, I think that took some of the fear away of, I think that'll be a big part of raising a child together and it has been. Well, yeah, they're, they're kind of like these little aliens that just have no frame <laughs> of reference for what, you know, <laughs> daily life is like. And it's like even, you know, even just going to the store with them and putting them up in the, that top part of the shopping cart and pushing them backwards. And they're like, oh, it's fun going backwards. <laughs> like, it's so cool to see. Right. Uh, or, at the, or you're at the grocery store and you're like, oh, man, Theo loves sweet pickles. He's never had a dill pickle. Oh my gosh. And then you're like, I can't wait to give this kid a dill pickle. I don't love him, but maybe he will. And, you know, just seeing the reactions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, no frame of reference. They've only been on this planet a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're brand new. They're brand new to the whole game. It's so crazy. What, what do you think? What do you think uh, at this point, if you had to guess, what would your son be interested in when he's an adult? Like what, what do you think he'll do for work? Oh, I haven't thought about that. I don't think that I've, I don't think that thought has crossed my mind before of what types of jobs will be, you know, 20 years from now or however long, or I honestly hope he goes to some sort of trade school. Uh, I went to college and thought I was going to, you know, be a therapist or something like that until I realized that's not what I want to do. Uh, in hindsight, I wish I would have learned maybe condo furniture, make furniture school or something like that, or Luthery school and learned how to make guitars or something. Um, just because I really do appreciate working with my hands and it's something I didn't know until further down the road. Do, do you play guitar? Uh, no. no. Oh, okay. uh, I, I mean, a, a little bit years and years ago, but never been any good. But just, uh, you know, I know people that make guitars and it seems fascinating to me. Yeah, that whole. So, do, have you ever been to the Peter Prier violin shop? It's downtown. No, I've driven past, but I've never been inside. If you ever get a chance to go check it out, so they have a violin making school tied right. onto this. It's the coolest place. I, I I grew up. I used to play the cello, and I got a cello from there. They're really cool about letting people just come in and check out their shop. But man, that whole thing is crazy. The science. And it's old, like, I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of years old, hmm. and they're still using all these same techniques that they were, you know, hundreds of years ago. It's just so rare to see something like that nowadays that's still a thing, but, man, ooh, yeah, that's fun. What, uh, so, so to totally switch a gear up here real yeah, quick, sure. what was your process like, how did you grow your Instagram? So to like, cause I mean, it's not just that you have a ton of followers. Like you have people that are really into your stuff that you post. What do you have any like advice or was it anything November, that was helpful? November, 2013, it looks like was my first post. Uh, yeah. November 19th, 2013. I don't know, like get in six and a half years ago. I think uh, that that was like a strength of, you know, I've had it for a long time. It's not something I just opened up. I think nowadays it's a lot more saturated. Uh, but also, I, I don't know, people like to see the process. If all I did was post a finished picture of a bowl on a pretty background, it, it wouldn't have landed as well. Um, I, back in the day, Instagram must have had a, quite a different algorithm because if you had certain videos, Nowadays, if I have a good video, maybe it'll get four or 5,000 views. And a couple of years ago, 
you know, if I had a pretty decent video, 30, 40,000 views, 150, um, I have this on my desk, this little bowl. So this is from Ooh. just a little cherry branch and I cut it in half and I made this bowl and I did this one minute time-lapse video and over a weekend I had 500,000 views on it and never had that before. You know, I had had a hundred something before, but never that much. And that grew my Instagram substantially. Uh, maybe the best investment that I made for something like that is a, a, a website direct from China, but it had a phone tripod. I think I bought them for like a dollar ninety a piece, and I'd buy a couple, and I'd take my phone, I'd take the time lapse, and then set it up you know, on the wall overlooking a lathe or something like that. And you put it into a video and it's, it's something that a middle something year old would really appreciate watching when they're at their cubicle, not doing their job as I'm regular, as, as is regularly the case with me as I'm <laughs> on my phone and just like, oh yeah, this person's making knives. That's really cool. This person is doing pottery. That's really cool. Oh yeah, this branch became a bowl. That's really neat. I think I'd like to see more of that. Um, so, so I think a commentary on Instagram that people may be missing, it's not about how many likes that you like other people's stuff. Um, I, I think maybe there's that motivational poster. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care or something like that. Um, something to that effect. Um, you have to engage. You have to be a part of the community and interact with the community. If you were to spend an hour every night and just go through and like photos of people that do something similar to you or within your community, you'll get, you know, somewhat of a following. But if you take, instead of an hour liking photos, if you took five minutes every night and went through a hashtag that you follow or something you're into and asked questions or gave commentary or feedback to somebody, then, I mean, that's actually something that people would want to follow back or, you know, see what you're up to. So commenting and not just something generic hey, Joe, like your stuff, follow for follow, question mark. That's lame and Ooh, it's spammy. Ooh, I hate that uh, stuff. <laughs> but it's, hey, hey, I really like, uh, you know, I was interested in the project you did last week. Um, what are you interested in doing next? Something like that that you're genuinely interested in, then I think that's, um, that's permission to be a part of that community that otherwise you wouldn't really have. But um, I listened to a podcast years ago and one maker within my realm had talked about the importance of, you know, reaching down, reaching across and reaching up. So within this vast community, if it's YouTube, if it's Instagram or Facebook, whatever is your poison, uh, there's people that are not as good as what you're doing right now. And reaching down to those people to say, uh, this is something that really helped me when I was trying to figure out what you're doing right now. Maybe it works for you, maybe not. Let me know if I can help. Reaching out and um, you know, connecting with people on your level that you see and maybe meeting up or you know, working on collaboration. And then also reaching up to people that are so beyond your skill level right now. Um, but I, yeah, I have kind of this network of heroes that 
I'm in pretty regular contact with. I text or I call or I message people that are so far beyond my skill level, but we become friends. They appreciate some of the things that I do and I'm kind of gaga over a lot of the things that they do. And it's been really cool to build that community. 20,000 20, followers or whatever it is right now, that's great. I don't think it would make a big difference either way. Um, it does help me sell things once a year to have a big following. But aside from that, I don't know. I, gosh, I think I am kind of proud of it uh, or just, you know, that, that I post something and people like it. I don't want to discount that, that I feed off of that um, to some degree. Well, no, it's cool to be like, putting some serious thought and effort and passion into something and then somebody else connecting with it and being like, yeah, this is cool. And this was totally worth your while to pursue this. And like you pulled it off. Great. Like that, that's a really cool thing, man. Like that, that's important to be. Yeah. I, I think that's a really important thing. Um, well, Hey man, it's a, uh, it's kind of starting to get late, but uh, what, what, uh, what's your, what's your Instagram and oh, uh, um, what's, what's a good place for people to be able to follow you and check you out and maybe your website and all that stuff? Sure. So um, people ask often, I, I used to do an Etsy um, where I'd load up all the stuff that I made throughout the year and put it on Etsy and sell it and ship it out and things like that. And I found it's kind of a hassle, uh, but I, I typically sell stuff that I make. I work on it all year and I sell it just around the Christmas holiday uh, because I can and because it means I don't have to take custom projects that eat up uh, a bit of my time that, isn't, that doesn't contribute to things that I really like and I really like, like making bowls. Um, my Instagram is Richards Woodcraft. Uh, Richards Woodcraft and... Uh, I'm on Facebook as well, Richard's Woodcraft. Um, mostly it's just posting to Instagram and it overflows into onto my Facebook page also. I teach classes at Woodcraft in Sandy, Utah on 90th South and State Street. And I teach the entry lathe class uh, typically and then I co-teach on the bowl class. And uh, if anyone has questions, I'm always open to answer those if you want to get into it or don't know where to start. I just, I love having those types of conversations with people. Heck yeah. Well, man, thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging out. Did you have anything else you wanted to add before we, uh, before we roll out? No, I, uh, for my job, I interview people all day long and it was weird half an hour before we started to get nervous. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm nervous. Uh, Joe's going to interview me about questions that, you know, I don't maybe don't anticipate. <laughs> um, but no, this was great. And I, I, I can't remember what we talked about. So I hope it was good. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was a class high grade knowledge stuff, man. Yeah, it was good. dude. It, it was really cool to, get a feel for why you have your passion for woodworking it's it's impressive dude it's awesome. really cool thanks. so thanks so much joe i appreciate yeah. it yeah well thanks man i i hope you have a great night and uh man hope, hope all's well with everybody in your world so thanks gonna go eat some popcorn fill it up yeah do it to it all right, all right. Bye. see you man bye kevin